The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Whatever we have built, I'm afraid, is not a law of nature. You know, our society is not a law of nature. Nature doesn't care if you have a society or not. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco-Bekali. And I wonder what is, what is wrong with the American society? What is broken as far as you're concerned? So, you know, I, I think everything starts with an idea. This idea of a nation state is an idea itself. So, I, I, you know, people did fall in love with the idea of America, you know, and a lot of people still do like that idea of America. But that idea of America is different to different people. So if you're living in Texas, your idea of America is different to an, uh, somebody living in L.A. or New York because they are on a different journey and somebody sitting somewhere in L.A. is on a different journey because they've met different type of people, their experience is different. So the idea of America needs to reinventing. The idea, I mean, they, they, you know, I'll give you a simpler example. So let's say you have put a, a, a building together. Now, you need to repair that building every once in a while because the bonds will start to loosen up and you need to make sure that there is a, a continuous care and TLC given to that structure that you built. The same thing is with the idea of America. The same thing is with the idea of uh, UK, for example. The whole Brexit happened because people have one idea of Britain because they feel that, okay, this is the, you know, Britain was once Britain. I mean, I mean that's one idea. I and you yes. can have a different idea, but they fully believe that that was the Britain that they want. There are people in the United States who have one idea of America. They feel this is the idea of America. But the society has changed, right? People have changed. You know, there are different type of people who are now in America. There are different type of people who are now in, 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 in UK. There are different type of... Europe has changed, right? The way the, the, demo, the, the demographics has changed. So if all of that is changing, you need to renew that idea. You need to renew the bonds. Yeah, but that's, that's an interesting one. So you have to renew the idea, which are the narratives, which are ultimately the bonds. And then you see all of a sudden society has evolved, or you just says uh, uh, changed in America, Britain, Europe, but the thoughts haven't. But I always thought it's the thoughts, the ideas, the ideals, you know, the belief system that drives our behavior and hence makes us whoever we become in future. So, you know, this is interesting. So I will use the uh, analogy of uh, laws of nature. You know, the earth is spinning and we don't care about it because we take it for granted. Now, that is no longer an idea. That is something that you have to take for granted because without the earth spin, nothing happens, right? So 
whatever we have built, I'm afraid, is not a law of nature. You know, our society is not a law of nature. Nature doesn't care if you have a society or not. The collective is not a fact, it's not a law of nature. So it's a construct. It's a construct of a human mind. And a human mind doesn't have the capacity to create something that can last for a billion years. It's unfortunate. It's just not possible. We cannot construct a star-like sun that will last for 10 billion years. We can create a machine that will last for 100 years and that will fall apart. So human mind, we don't have the capacity. So what we do is we need to have a, a working idea. A working idea that needs to be open-ended, that needs to be open-sourced, where people can keep changing that, people can keep renewing it. And I can guarantee you, 100 years from now, an America of today will look completely different. A UK of today or a Europe of today will look completely different. I mean, just go back in 1900, uh, early 19th century. I mean, if you were to say to people that there will be a European Union, they will say there will never be a European Union. We are busy killing each other, right? We want to kill each other, and you're talking about us living together in peace? That's not possible. But it is possible because people changed. People said, no, we want to live in peace. Yeah. And that is, that is, and this is where I think European, got, European Union got it wrong. It is a very nice brand. It is a very good idea. But the way it was marketed is not right. America is marketed very correctly in a right way. But European Union is not marketed in the right way. And that's where the marketing failed, and that's where the product starts to fall apart, and that's where the idea is becoming restrictive. And people want to go back to their original idea that, no, 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 I am, I am, a, I am, a, I am a this or I am a that, and European Union, I cannot identify myself with it. So that is the struggle that we have. Yeah, and I think the struggle fundamentally is, you know, the introspection or the lack of it. And in your chapter, uh, Meeting People, a long monologue, uh, I got the impression, Sanjay, if you actually don't like people because, um, because of your past experiences, maybe also because of some of the traits you discovered in your own journey. So I think it's some of the traits that I discovered in my own journey. I realized, wow, I can be very vindictive. I can be very discriminating. I can really cause a lot of damage to people. Uh, I realized that when I lose a transaction and, you know, I just, I just take it very seriously. So I thought, like, let's take a step back. When you know you can do some damage, you know, you want to take a step back. So now I realize, you know what? How many people do you need to know to live, to exist? Not many. You can, so, and sometimes what happens is you can get into a networking fatigue. You know too many people, but they don't know you by exchanging business cards, etc. by exchanging five minutes of conversation. You have built nothing. You know, you've just had their contact. You don't get anything out of it. So for me, I encourage, I encourage myself and people I know that, look, you need to learn to invest yourself wisely in people. And that is very, very important. You know, so any relationship, you need to learn to invest yourself in that relationship. And you need to fully invest yourself in that relationship. So how many people you can invest yourself in? Not everybody. You can invest yourself in literally a handful of people. And those are the people you would kind of grow with, you know, you know, you will allow them to criticize you. 
you will allow them to, uh, to you know, point to you and say, no, that is a wrong idea. And you could say, I understand that. Uh, so that has been my, my own journey. Yeah, and I, I think it's an interesting one, if I may interject there, Sanjeev, because that is, now we're talking personal relationships, per, uh, people that you are not only honest with, but even bear, where you show your own weaknesses or things that trigger you and you trust them that you can evolve together. You know, you, you exchange whatever triggers you, whatever your weakness is, and you grow together. And that is potentially your personal collective. Okay. The other thing, the networking is more business, which is very much driven by certain objectives. Yeah. So you know, now what I do is when I'm looking at a business, I mean, this is again, part of, uh, you know, you, you evolve, you learn. Now, when I'm looking at somebody and I see that there is no overall alignment, I simply tell them, look, uh, you know, I appreciate the capital or I appreciate your offer, but let's not work together. And it shocks people. Uh, but I, I'm very honest with that because I don't want to take burden. I don't want to carry baggage because just I want to chase that profit. I want to chase that capital doesn't mean I need to create so much pressure on myself, so much baggage that there will be a lot of conflict. So what happened is, and I can tell you, I mean, what happened is you take on those investors, you take on those partnerships because you think, well, we are focusing mostly on business. You're focusing only on profit. That's what it is. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Uh, and what happens is, you know, there is, I mean, the alignment is only on business. So they could say, well, climate change is just a bogus thing. And you could say, well, it's okay. He doesn't agree, but I think maybe one day he will come around. Or, you know, oh, this is, I can tell people what to wear and all of that, you know. And you could say, no, you shouldn't, but doesn't matter, you know. So you make those small compromises here, there, your principle, their principle are not aligned at all. But you keep doing that because you think, you know, your shareholders will be happy, you're delivering good results. But what happens is when the relationship starts to unwind, meaning you get into a bit of business problem, then that business problem gets associated and linked to your principle stances. And then that, when you break that partnership, it becomes very toxic. You have litigations and all of that. So I want to avoid all of that. I don't want to get into any of those situations. I say, no, I want to invite you into my house. And this is what I'm offering. I don't want you to control me and tell me I would want you to do this. I want you to change the lamp here and there. That won't work for me. But let's agree. Let's agree to know that we will have disagreement, but we will respect each other. And when there is that alignment, you discover that they will support you and you can support them. And I have partners who call me for relationship issue. And I sometimes joke with them and I say, look, we didn't sign up for all of these things, man. <laughs> but the trust has developed so much. Let me quickly interrupt the conversation to say thank you that you are here with me on the channel. If you do enjoy what I'm putting out, the in-depth kind of conversations, then why don't you subscribe and also hit the bell button so I can keep you informed with our newest releases. Thanks for that in advance and let's get back to the conversation.
No, that's that's absolutely wonderful. And I think to have that alignment or that uh, common ground saying, okay, these are the kind of rules, this is what you can expect from me, and this is what I can expect from you. I think management of expectation is what is potentially so effective, efficient, or painful if it's done badly. And I think uh, that also plays very well into one thing that you said in your book, that what is being rich, you just uh, posed that question. And for you, being rich is everything but material, but it is the richness of thought, of, of, you know, the way you live your life, of giving, empathy, being there for each other. And that uh, rich being rich needs also in a way to be redefined for many, many people. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, you know, I, as I was saying, you know, the thing is, a lot of people who are rich, there is nothing else apart from being rich. You know, buying, a, you, know, uh, you know, throwing a party for a, a 500,000 euros, etc. just an example. Uh, I mean, that's what I've realized. So what I do is, uh, what is, you know, what, I mean, the question I, I ask myself is, what are people doing for, for the society? What are people, I mean, how are you contributing? I mean, I, I don't have that question anymore. Why do I exist? Because I know I'm in, in experiments. So the question I ask myself is, you know, not why do I exist? How do I exist? Spot on, spot yeah. on, Sanjay, so, exactly. And that is what matters because we do exist. It's, as you were saying, you know, a haphazard kind of situation of life. But what we make of it is very much up to us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why, that's why I think we should, we, I mean, for me at least, that's why I thought I'll put it in a book. That's what I see being rich is, not being, you know, I, I think the matrix of success is now money. No, and that's, that's, I think that's, we need to redefine that. The matrix of success should not be money. And I'm not saying a lot of um, people who have money uh, are wrong type of people, not at all. I just think, uh, you know, for the younger generation, it's our responsibility that we need to redefine that. That, you know, you are successful if you're happy. You are successful if you're a good father. You are successful if you're a good friend. If you are successful if you're, a, you know, a good husband or a wife or, you know, anything. Uh, success doesn't mean that, oh, I have a million dollar in my bank account or a hundred million dollar in my bank account or a billion dollar company. And I am, people don't like me. The guys who work for me don't hate me completely. My friend thinks, oh my God, this is a dishonest person. That is not success. That is creating a lot of collateral damage. Uh, absolutely. On the other hand, money or wealth can be a wonderful tool this is all money is, at least for me, with which you can do a lot of good and really, you know, not for that people like you, just simply because making a difference with the means that you have, and if it's not only a personality, but money and wealth as well, that's great. And what you just said earlier on about, you know, the, the redefinition of things brings me and the new generation, the next generation brings me to a vital part of our conversation, Sanjeev, and is how can we really use this COVID-19 crisis to create and not just rebuild the good old days we think might have been good or the normal pre-COVID, but what can we really change? What do you think? I mean, you talked about redesigning, redefining the economy. You talked about redesigning the healthcare system as well. Um, where, do you, where do you say, let's start with the economy. What do you think are fundamental shifts we should look into at least in order to create a more long-term sustainable financial economic system? I think first we need to start with 
saying that the stock market is not a reflection of the economy. Uh, you know, the stock market could be record high and there are people on the street, you know, not feeling the impact of it at all. And this is which, this is the, this is the problem that I encourage my friends. I mean, I, I come from financial markets, so I know that market. Uh, and there is a serious, re, the, you know, gap in reality. So you have one reality where you're looking at an index and you think, wow, the world is prosperous, but that world is not prosperous at all. So, you know, and there is a disconnect between the real economy and the financial market now, a serious disconnect. So you have a product called financial market that only works for 5% of the population. 95% of the population just don't like it anymore. So that's why people don't like rich people, people don't like bankers, people don't like anything because they think, whoa, I don't get any benefit out of it. And then people confuse it with, oh, you guys want to be socialist, you guys want to be communist. Not at all. At the end of it, if I tell people, look, if 20% of the global population was to die because of a pandemic, your economy and the market will more or less collapse. So you've got to understand that you have, we have to design a system that works for people. We'll never have a perfect system, but it needs to work better than it is working today. And, yeah. and I think we need to, that has to be a collective effort, I feel. Yeah, and you mentioned there a couple of actually very concrete things, and let me just point them out to our viewers as well, Sanjeev. You talk about we should move away from the metrics of GDP and go to GO, which is the gross output, measuring the total economic activity in the production of goods and services uh, in one financial year would be a better, more inclusive kind of metrics. You also talk about the roles of the central banks, that they should be allowed to create up to 25% of new money um, if it means that they can help in a specific crisis and also pass certain funds on, the national crisis funds on, for example, to the IMF. So you're, you're putting a lot into a system saying, okay, we just make it, let's, let's make it more open, more giving, more inclusive, right? If I, if I read it right. But yeah, no, correct. And that's what I said. So, you know, the, I'm glad you, uh, you, you pointed it out. And thank you for that. So, you know, uh, if we had that system, just imagine if we had that system today, the government won't have to borrow to break their back. And, and our next generation after won't be taking the burden of so much of debt. Because if we had that in place, we will be solving that problem. We will easily solve that problem because there will be provisions already in the system. And the government will say to their central bankers, look, this is what we need to do. So there is a crisis, let's fund that crisis. So it wouldn't impact then the FX values, for example, and inflation with that kind no, of system? Not at all, because you know, those are established things, right? Those are things that market understands that you are doing that and there is provision for it. So you know, these, are, these are the provisions that already exist in the system. And when there are provisions that already exist in the system, those events happen, you just utilize on those provisions. Mm -hmm. And the healthcare system, it seems to me everything needs to be more remote, more digital. Sweat is something that you talked about quite extensively, which made me, which, which made me sweat, <laughs> which made me laugh, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. So in terms of healthcare, what can we do better in order to potentially face another pandemic in a better way? I, I personally feel, I think there has to be a whole of government approach to healthcare. And healthcare has to become a, a, a security issue. Serious security issue, and we see that, right? You know, if you have a, a, a virus that is out of control, it is a national crisis. It's a national emergency. So I think various parts of the government needs to allocate some 
capital, some resource towards making sure the society is safe. So we are talking about cybersecurity and all of that is fantastic, but people health is very, very important. And that's why if you put all of the government resources in making sure the society is well taken care of and healthy, we won't need to burn a lot of money. We will be doing much better things with that money. Yeah, and I think you're so spot on because if I remember rightly, the reason for the first lockdown during the uh, first part of the COVID-19 pandemic was really we must not overbear, overload our healthcare system because it's kind of within five seconds, it's maxed out. So we have to, you know, uh, we have to keep people at home so they don't shift to to unavailable places in the hospitals. And for me, that was there was kind of a shocking moment de raison, yeah, where where I just thought, okay, what is happening here? Isn't that part of defending your society, not only with some sort of bombs or, um, as you were just saying, space war issues, but really making sure if something biological warfare was supposed to happen, that a good part of the population can be cared for on a medical level. And absolutely, you said it. You know, So, you know, we were asked, the lockdown was imposed to sell the health health system. That's what it was imposed for. It wasn't imposed to save people. Let's let's be honest about exactly. That. It's, what, yeah. it's what I think for yeah. the better for the yeah. worse. I might get crucified no, no. by the our fact, No, no, it's okay. I mean, I want to be very honest with myself. The lockdown was imposed because the health system didn't have capacity. So you were asked to just protect the health system. And that was the right thing to do because you don't have resources. You just have limited amount of resources because we didn't think a pandemic will happen. Right. But if you had all of the government, every department of the government prioritizing or at least putting something towards healthcare of the society, then you will probably not need that type of lockdown because you will have so much of capacity that you will be able to cope. Unfortunately, that's the reality. If you have a bridge that can take, let's say, you know, or if you have a hotel that can take 100 people but you have a crisis and there is earthquake and you are the only built hotel there, then you will have 2,000 people coming in and the hotel will collapse, basically. Yeah, and then somebody disagrees with us, uh, Sanjay, if I may say, would say, well, you cannot build a hotel for, well, one day I might not have to accommodate 100 people, but 100,000 people, of course not. But, you know, just to make that analogy. No, absolutely. That's why I said whole of government approach. So you can have some capacity everywhere and... If there is that capacity and if you there is a crisis event, you can put that into action. And that's why a whole of the government approach, and I think it's important that the government and people in the society uh, push that, that look, society, people are very, very important and healthcare is a security issue now. It's not just, uh, well, we are socialists, so we will keep funding people. No, healthcare is a social issue. If people are not healthy, your economy will collapse. You will have so much of social security expenses. If you have people who are not eating healthy in your society, they will develop all kinds of illnesses, diseases. So that means a lot more funding on social security, on social benefits and all of that. So it is only prudent to make sure you know, you do that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, one could argue on the other side, well, the conflict of interest here, you can't keep a healthy society because there you have the pharma industry, you have the food industry, the huge lobby, huge tax income spinners. So one makes potentially the society sick, 
to uh, for the other one then to make them uh, stronger and healthy again. And it kind of feeds a nice cycle. But this is a lot of conspiracy theory behind it. I just wanted to put it in the equation. Sanjeev, we are wrapping up our conversation. It's been so much fun and so interesting. Um, I always ask at the end of our uh, conversation, my fabulous guests, so what are your main learnings from your journey? I mean, you've had suffered pain, quite substantial pain due to family loss. Uh, you are very successful, but at the same time, in the same time, very introspective. Uh, you know, what is the definition for you of the key learnings that you would like to pass on? You know, so that's why I wrote this book called uh, the, the Di From the Diary of Nobody. Uh, because, you know, being a nobody made me, re made me a bit more freer inside my own head. So I don't imprison myself anymore. And I realized, look, I can go and build myself an extremely successful business and all of that is fantastic. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, how am I existing is what I ask myself. And that is a question I didn't ask two years ago or three years ago. Uh, and that question I think people do need to ask themselves. So for me, I do want to make sure that uh, what I am doing can be served as a, can be used as a reference. So, you know, 50 years or 30, 100 years from today, somebody can look at my journey and say, ah, okay, this is a good reference. This is a good lighthouse. Maybe I can, that could be, a, uh, you know, a, not a source of inspiration, but at least, you know, a reference point that people can use it and say, okay, maybe this is something that I could do. So, I mean, uh, for me, I'm just, in that process right now. I mean, maybe after five years, I might think or rethink this whole thing. Mm -hmm. But right now, I'm in that journey and I'm trying to be useful to see how I can uh, be more, more productive and be more useful to the society. And, and this might sound cliche, but I was, I mean, whenever I am thinking out loud, I have this continuous, you know, thought process in my head where I think, you know what, I'll be, I'll consider my journey quite successful if I could just put uh, an idea where I think, you know what, humanity should be the supreme idea and all the other religions, the cultures, etc., should just come under the umbrella of humanity. Uh, so you could be, uh, you know, you could be uh, a religious person, but as long as you are fully subscribed to the idea of humanity, I don't think we will have so much conflict within our society. Yeah, I, I think this is beautiful because you're distinguishing between human and humane, okay, yeah. being humane. And what I take from our conversation to kind of put it in the nutshell, and I'm sure I'm leaving lots of bits out here, is it starts with a thought, a reflective kind of thought, uh, which then can lead you to be critically, um, you know, thinking about yourself, evolving, trying to not be just a human in the kind of being human, but humane and add value through your actions. Even if these actions are, I don't want to act with you because I'm honest and this is what you have to expect to me. That is for me. This is much better than to kind of play along, manipulate um, and just be part of something that might be a mediocre society, even going into decadence. So this is what I take from our conversation. Is that more? Huh. That, I appreciate that. I, you know, that's, uh, I mean, that's something that I thought, you know, would be an interesting to have a conversation and really appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, and let's see how people, I mean, maybe people will react to it. Maybe you'll, you'll, you will see what sort of reaction you get from people. And I look forward to that and, uh, and, and good luck. Good luck. 
No, absolutely, absolutely. I'm I'm very happy because our mentory TV community or people that come across my channel, they are very responsive. They tend to comment, and um, yeah, because you know my guests, including you, of course, they are outspoken. They have their own ideas, and this is exactly you know the objective. Also, stay curious is my motto. Be open-minded. Listen maybe to other people. You don't have to endorse, but you can consider and just entertain a thought for a minute or two before you put it away or you actually endorse it, and just. Just to leave you uh, and also the viewers with uh, one screen share, I thought I wanted to share that because it is very, very, where is it? Very insightful from your book. Um, where are we here? Okay, this is, here we are. There we go. So let me just open the screen share. And here this is, I, I pulled out quite a few quotes, which I just referred to, but the last one here. I want to want to read out to everybody. And you called it Rebuild, and I think it really wraps up our conversation so beautifully. Rebuild. Let us rebuild, but not back to how it was. Let us build better and not the way it was. Imagine a future where anything can be. The politics you hate or the ideology you like can all exist together under the, under the same tree. Unleash, but not your hate. Let your imagination design your fate. Create continuous diversity more than what you are could ever see. We must get out of the gate before it is too late. Sitting idle and leaving it all to fate will surely be our biggest mistake. Let us fail. And yes, at times we may go off the rails, but allow us to fail some more because that's how we will learn to soar. I know we will come back and come back strong. Let us go build the future that we all must have. The diary of a nobody. Sanjeev, that is... Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. like that. Thank you. Thank you very much for being with me here, Sanjeev. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. Same here. Take care. Thank you very much. And and looking forward to having our coffee one-to-one very soon, hopefully. Absolutely. Now that the (laughs) vaccines are really coming our way, at least at this time of the recording more or less at the change of the year. And thank you very much, dear Mentory TV community, for having joined us again for a very exciting conversation, this time with Sanjeev Kumar, joining us from London. See you next time. Bye. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I am an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. <laughs>